please go ahead and say, take a seat. Have your Bibles, please open to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11. I want to make sure that we all understand why in the world are we going through the book of Exodus? Why are we doing this? I think it's important for us to be reminded that the book of Exodus gives us a great description of the God that we serve. I think what's under attack is this view of God, which then causes us to define who God is erroneously if we don't first look to the scriptures. And I think it's really important that when we look at the book of Exodus, we can see these great attributes of God. I think in your worship center outline, I've given you basically about a couple of attributes of God that we can see through the plagues. I want to talk about the first two. In the plagues specifically, Ryan addressed those last week, in the plague specifically, we learn a lot about God. I think the first two things that I want to say is that God is almighty and God is jealous. Now, this list was provided to me and you by Mr. Philip Ryken, who's a great theologian and wrote a great book on the book of Exodus, a commentary in the book of Exodus, so I want to give credit to him. But the first two things that I want us to see when we take a look at the plagues and we take a look at the attributes of God, the first thing that I want you to see is that God is almighty and that God is jealous. Now, now let's put this into context. The Egyptians, led by Pharaoh, they have a God for everything. They have a God for fertility. They have a God for just health. They have all kinds of gods. Pharaoh is leading them in this way. In, in essence, there are about 2,500 2, Egyptian gods. You literally have a God for absolutely everything. A couple of them are named. Let me give you a couple of them. We have um, Happy, H-A-P-I, who is for life, or he's over the Nile because the Nile would produce for you some kind of nourishment. We have Ray, which was the God of light or the God of the sun. We have uh, Sunni, which is the God of health or disease. And so you got to ask yourselves the question, why in the world do we have 10 plagues? Because here's the situation. The Egyptians have a God for every single thing. And God comes to them. And there is the God who is over the Nile, who is over, um, over, over them, the over basically watering the plants and watering them. And it was their livelihood. And the first plague basically showed them that that God was futile. Then you have the God of health. And they sent boils to show that that God was futile. Then you have the God of light or the sun. And the place went dark. And, and, and God was showing them that what they were following and who they were following was, does not even compare to the goodness of who he is and to his greatness and to his power. He is mighty and there is no one like him. Amen. And so why do we have 10 plagues? Because really in essence, God in his sovereignty was one by one picking off their gods. And showing them that they do not provide what he can provide. To show them that he is a jealous God. 
And it is a dangerous thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. There is no one like him. None like him. And the plagues are basically God in his great sovereignty demonstrating who he is. They had all kinds of gods. And God was letting them know, I am not going to settle or share my glory. I'm not going to do that because your goodness and you want abundant life. And the Egyptians were all about protecting life. So they had a God of everything that would give them life. And God is the one who says in the New Testament that I am the God of the universe. I've come to give you life and give it to you in the full. And it's only God who can give that, not these Egyptian gods that they had created. Here, here is a quote for you. Yahweh shows Egypt, you've been looking in all the wrong places. You have no power over death and your gods and goddesses are nothing. I hold the keys of death and Hades, heaven and hell. And so here's what we want to see. We want to have a big picture of God. The Egyptians had a lot of things that were competing for their attention and who, who the God of the Bible is. I'm so glad it's different today. Aren't you? I don't care if we're Kenyans or Americans or, or, or French or Spaniards. What he's coming to show us is that there is one God of the universe. And Exodus, Exodus declares who he is, especially how God goes one by one to show them the incompleteness, the incompetence of their gods. That's what he's doing. And in chapters 11 and chapter 12, we come face to face with the last plague, the final plague, that's different than the others. Ones through nine, God says, hey, Moses, Tell Pharaoh that this is going to happen, and then this happens. Pharaoh says, oh, stop it, and it stops. That happens one through nine. In chapter 10, the Israelites and the Egyptians are all a part of this plague, the plague of what we know as the death of the firstborn, where we also are introduced to what's called Passover, so we have the final plague and Passover, this, this celebration of God's deliverance of his Israelite people because of the sacrifice of a lamb. So we're gonna jump in to verse, or excuse me, chapter 11. We're gonna read a couple of verses from chapter 11. 11's really short, it's only 10 verses. We're gonna read a couple of verses from there. Then we're gonna look at chapter 12 and we've got, four lessons, and then what we're going to do is we're going to go in and we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate King Jesus by taking and eating the bread and drinking the juice that is a reminder that there is one God in all of creation who made himself known through Jesus, and if we repent of our sins, we can have a relationship with him and only him.
And so that's what we stand on. That's what we believe and that's what we teach. That's what the scripture teaches. So in chapter 11, here's where we come and we learn about the 10th plague. It says in verses four through six, go ahead and take a look at 11, four through, excuse me, four through seven is what I'm going to read. I believe, I'm sorry, four through six. Here's what it says. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor will ever be. So here we come to the 10th plague and we hear and we see that the firstborn is going to die. That's what's going to happen. Now, remember what Pharaoh said to, what, now remember what Pharaoh did early in chapter two of Exodus. When we see what Pharaoh did, he came to the Israelites and said, hey, we're going to take care of all the firstborn, all the firstborn males, we're going to take them out. That was a declare. Well, if you, always, if you also remember what God is doing here, God has given them, it's different. God has given them a warning. I want you to listen to me. I want you to follow me. I'm gonna give you a warning if you don't follow me. I'm gonna give you a chance because the God that we serve is merciful and gracious. But there is a consequence when we do not obey and we do not listen. Again, it's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of an angry God when we don't simply listen. So God, after several attempts of mercy, several attempts of trying to get their attention, he used these plagues. He gave them a chance to respond. He gave them a chance to believe. Again, what would happen? After plague one, didn't follow him. What happens? Another plague comes, another plague comes, another plague comes. Then we come up to the plague of death. And in most, there's some questions. Well, that seems rather cruel. But I, I, wanna, I wanna make sure you understand that the Egyptians were being raised up and it was a threat to the Israeli army. Excuse me, the Israelites were being raised up to be a threat to the Egyptian army. There were so many people that were oppressing the Israelites. They were Egyptian leaders, firstborn of the family. And they were... They were oppressing the Israelites. They were putting them in slavery. They were, they were, they were hurting them. They were taking them out. They were um, persecuting them in, in, in very difficult ways. And, and so when, when, we, when we take a look, when we say, hey, the declare was to the firstborn, sometimes because of what Pharaoh said, we have this mindset that it's babies that, that God's talking about. But it's in essence grown men that would fight and that would oppress. That's really what was taking place here. They were oppressing the, the Israelites. And so God makes a decree this is what's going to happen death of the firstborn. And, and so, really, what I want to make sure that you see and I see is that we don't forget how important it is to listen to God. There's, there's so many different ways that God is speaking. God speaks through his word. He can speak through music. He can speak 
through his beautiful creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, is what Psalm says. And it's dangerous for us, dangerous for us, for us to sit there and be here and not listen to the God of the Bible who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and who clearly speaks. He speaks through each other. The community of faith, he speaks through each other. You help me and I help you. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. And it's dangerous for us not to obey. Here's what verse 8 says. Verse 8. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. That's Moses. Went out from, <laughs> went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Why is he doing that? Because Moses has come face to face with the God of creation. He recognizes and realizes that there is no one like him. And Pharaoh is not listening and not listening and not listening. And he has this righteous anger that's built up in him. Moses, then verse nine says, then the Lord said to Moses, listen, I don't want you and I don't want me. I don't want us to be like Pharaoh. Listen, Pharaoh will not listen. Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel, Israel go out of his land. Is Pharaoh, he had a chance. The God of creation's coming to him. Hey, listen, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. I'm gonna give you a chance. 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 And finally, what happened? God turns his heart over to his desires. After several opportunities of giving him a chance. My, my warning to us, the Bible says, I implore you, I, I beg you, basically is what it's saying. Listen to the Lord. Listen. A lot of times what we do is we have a tendency to speak for him rather than listen to him. My encouragement to you is to listen to him before you speak for him. Sometimes we get impatient and we say, well, God's doing this or God's saying this when God never said that. Be patient. Listen to the Lord. Heed his warnings. He has everything that he wants for you is, your, is, is for your good and his glory. Listen and obey. Exodus chapter four, verse 22 to 23. Here's what it says. Exodus chapter four, verse 22 to 23. I'm just gonna read that. You can flip there if you want to. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse 
to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. The God of the Bible is merciful in his warning. And he gave Pharaoh a warning. This is what's going to happen. If you do not do what I'm asking you to do, let my people go. And if you do not do that, then I'm going to take out the firstborn of your family. So again, I'd encourage us to listen to the Lord. Now we go to verse 12. And verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12 is where we jump into next. Chapter 12 has 50 some verses. It's a longer, longer explanation of the final plague and how that's going to um, roll out. I've got four points that I want you to follow along with me. And I feel like we'll read, a, not the whole chapter, but we'll get the whole gist of what's going on. Here's basically what's happening. God comes into the Israelites and he tells them right now, and he says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to get a lamb. I want you to get a lamb that has no spot, that has no blemish, that is perfect. I want you to take that lamb and I want you to hold on to that lamb for five days. I want you to hold that lamb for five days. At the end of five days, you're going to have a feast. You are going to eat of something bitter. You're going to eat of unleavened bread and you're going to eat of this lamb. You're going to eat all of it. You're going to eat it while you're standing up, not while you're sitting down. Because guess what? I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to exodus you out of here. That's what I'm going to do. Normally what you would do in eating is you would come home, you would take off your belt, your robe would flow down, you would sit down in comfort, and you would eat. And the Lord tells the Israelites, no, no, no. What I want you to do is I want to make sure your robe is tucked up into your belt because I'm telling you, I'm the God of the universe and I'm going to get you out of here. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because I promised you I would do it. And we learned several weeks ago that God keeps his promises. So here's what, he's, here's what we have going on right now. I want you to get a lamb. I want you to be without spot or blemish. You might be asking the question, why in the world do you keep the lamb for five days? Here's the reason you keep the lamb for five days. If you have a relationship with that lamb, you're gonna recognize it is an incredible sacrifice. So you're playing with the lamb or you're with the lamb and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's a sacrifice. You will take the blood, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the blood and I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it on the side of the doors and I want you to put it over the doorposts. I want that to take place. At midnight, the angel of the Lord will come and he will pass over the houses that have the blood that's on the side and over the top of the door frame or the door house. Let me ask you a question right now. Please don't look at this like Santa Claus and checking the naughty list or something like that. Oh, oh, there they are. They have blood on the door. So skip over them or skip over them. God knows everything. What he is wanting them to put the blood on the door, he's asking them to do that so that he can see, do you believe? Israelites, I need to see, do you believe? Do you accept my sacrifice? You're not in because of your heritage. You're in because of your belief in a substitute. That's how you're in. The blood was not necessarily for God's sake. It was for 
their sake. That's who it was for. I accept your sacrifice. I accept your blood for the atonement of my sins. So what would take place? Evening would happen. They've eaten this meal. The angel of the Lord comes over. And what happened? The blood was on the outside door. And the Lord would pass over. That's what would take place. Now let's go to chapter 12. And I've got four things that I want to show, uh, share with you before we come to the Lord and just become to take of the elements and remember the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made. So verse, uh, verses one through three, I want you to see the Passover represents a new day for God's people. The Passover represents a new day for God's people. Verse 12. I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse one through three. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be for the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to the father's houses, a lamb for each household. And what he's talking about right there is I want you to focus on the words, this month shall be for you a beginning of months. It's a new day. It's a new season. You were a slave and now you're not. You're free. You're free when you accept that sacrifice, that gift that has been required. And what he's saying is everything changes. Listen to me. July 20th, 1996 was a new day for me because I married Dana. <laughs> it was a new day. On April, excuse me, on January the 6th, 1972, yes, I'm going to be 50 in January, okay? But January the 6th, 1972, it was a beginning. But April the 3rd, 1983, that was a new beginning because that's the day I personally accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for my sins. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. And Passover is a great, it's a great representation of a new day. It has begun. And he's telling them, this day, what took place at this time, you're going, to sac you're going to celebrate this for all of eternity. You're going to celebrate that Jesus saves, that God saves you, that God saved you, and he's going to save you through, uh, through Christ. So I want you to know that God is the author of new beginnings. They were enslaved for 430 years. 430 years they were enslaved. And right there in verses one through three of chapter 12, he's saying it's gonna be a new day, it's a new beginning. We're gonna start all the, we're gonna start this thing over. You're gonna recognize that I am who I said I am. Now, number two, the Passover serves as a reminder of God's promises and great grace. The Passover serves as a reminder of God's promises and great grace. Look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a, as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? 
Meaning the kids are going to ask the question, well, what are we doing? Why are we eating this lamb? What is going on? I don't know what you're talking about. Then you're going to tell them exactly what took place, that the God of creation passed over the Israelites by the giving them of a land as a promise that he is the God of the universe and he would take care of them. So verse 26, and when your children say to you, what do you mean of this service? 27, you shall say, it is the, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared the houses and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. God wants this day to be for them a day of remembrance. I want you to tell this day to your kids. I want you to remind them of what just took place. In 2006, the Carolina Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup. Okay, and I can sit there and think, now listen, you have to understand something to me. Please understand that I grew up with the Hartford Whalers who are now the Carolina Hurricanes, okay? And so it was awesome in 2006 to be able to go to those, those games. There was a player by the name of Rod Brindamore. And as I'm sitting here writing this message, I'm thinking, man, Rod Brindamore, all of a sudden sitting down with his kids. Man, I remember when we, were, we had a four-game losing streak that year. I remember when I got into this fight with this big, big Russian dude. His name was like Simchenkov or Simchenko or something. Okay, anyway. Uh, anyway. And so, so you can just sit there and you can think about you can think about what Rod Brindamore is telling his kids and he's telling his kids and he's telling his kids. He said, hey, we were, on this, we were on this really bad losing streak. As a matter of fact, we played the Canadians in the very first game and we lost six to one. I was there and uh, we lost six to one. But I want you to know, we won the cup. We won the cup and here's what he's telling them right now. I want you to sit down with your kids, generation after generation, and I want you to talk about how the Lord passed over because we accepted the lamb. That's what, I want you to, that's what I want you to see. Number three, the Passover serves as a catalyst to live right. The Passover serves as a catalyst to live right. Verse 28, then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Verse 50, all the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Here's what we see. This Passover is a catalyst for them to not just have it in their head, but to have it a part of their lives, to do something, to cause them in, to go into action. Let me read you this quote. The Old Testament context of remembering means much more than mere mental mental recollection this is a type of recollection that implies action this is a type of remembrance that implies action it implies attentiveness to the promises and events of the past in such a way that action is taken which is defined by the thing remembered this is remembering forward recalling the past for the sake of propelling someone oneself into the future Here's what the Passover does. It helps us to remember, so it propels us forward. It is a catalyst to live the right way. That's what 
the Passover did for them. It said over and over, I just read two verses, 28 and 50, that they did what the Lord asked. They did what the Lord asked. They did what the Lord asked. It is a catalyst for them to live right. And number four, here it is. The Passover foreshadows the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Passover foreshadows the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the Passover talks about a lamb that was slain for the people of God, but all throughout scripture, we know that when Abel came to offer his sacrifice, he offered a, a lamb. We know that when Isaac was, was gone up to the mountain and he looks at his dad and say, where is the lamb? Where is the, where is the sacrifice? And God provided a lamb in the thicket for him. And, and we, also, we also know that the lamb was provided in Leviticus for the day of atonement for the Israelites. A, a lamb was given to the high priest who sacrificed that, and that was for the, for the forgiveness of their sins. We also see at Passover here that they had a lamb. And then we also turn into the New Testament where a man by the name of John the Baptist who was preparing people for the Son of God to come into the world because he was truly the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God because John the Baptist said in John 1 verse 29, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, here it is, of the world. So, just think, Jesus riding in on a donkey, them looking, and John the Baptist is saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's what takes place. The blood of the Lamb in the Passover celebration, the first one that we just read about, the blood of the Lamb was sprinkled on the doorframe and on the outside to let everyone know that you, are, you believe. And the, the angel of the Lord passed over that house. But the blood of the lamb that was shed on Calvary, that, that blood was shed on a cross to declare to you and to declare to me that God is who he says he is, that he's the only one that can redeem because he is the lamb of God. That's who he is. And Exodus, Exodus is preparing us for that great message. The blood of the lamb that was shed on the cross and placed on both sides of the cross in the middle and on the both sides of that tree. That blood that was shed is a declaration to you and to me that sin, death, and Satan, you are defeated. You are done. I am God and there is no one like me. So listen to me, follow me, let this spur you on to love and good deeds. Here's what I want you to see as we get ready, take your cups, please open up the top. Please do not forget that God provided what God requires. A substitute to die for his people. 
If you don't remember anything, please, I hope that you'll remember this. It's in the worship center. Please listen. God provided what God required. We'll give a little time. The Lamb of God, King Jesus, gathered the disciples in the upper room. This is the Lamb of God. It's Passover. Hundreds of years after God freed the Egyptians from slavery, Jesus, being 33 years old, had come to do exactly what he was supposed to do. And that is to be a lamb and to be the final lamb. He was without sin in every way possible. He was like us, the Bible says, but completely without sin. So the lamb of God is in the upper room with his disciples They're not quite sure what's going on. They're not quite sure what's happening. He takes bread. He takes bread, breaks the bread for him and said, this is my body which is given for you. Each time you eat, you eat in remembrance of what I have done. You may eat. There was some blood that was placed on the houses that caused the angel of death, to, the, angel, the angel of the Lord to pass over. There was also blood. That blood was, was poured out on a cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That blood represents that King Jesus is the savior of the world and is the final lamb. And each time we drink, we drink in remembrance of King Jesus, the Lamb of God. You may drink. Remember this God provided what God required. He provided a substitute to die for his people. And I pray that this substitute is your substitute and that would spur you on and myself on to love and good deeds so that other people in this world can hear who he is. You know what I love? I love that the the Lamb of God was given to the family. I love that the Lamb of God was given to um, the individual. I love that the Lamb of God was given to the nation. And what I love most of all is that John the Baptist cleared it perfectly. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to a family. He came to a nation. And he came to the world. And he's the only one that can take away the sin of the world. There is no substitute. God provided what God required. I love you. Let's let this truth spur us on to love and good deeds. Let's pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. 
I thank you for the privilege of being able to be here today and talk about you. Lord, the lamb, you are the lamb of God without spot or blemish. There is no one like you. I thank you that we can look to you and we can see all the way through scripture how you gave us this lamb and gave lambs and gave lambs and gave lambs and gave lambs and what they represented. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that we come to the New Testament and we see how John declared that you are the lamb of God. And we thank you for going to the cross. We thank you for shedding your blood. And we thank you, King Jesus, that there is simply no one like you. So God, let us listen and let us be warned that if we put someone before you or have gods before you, Lord, you are not pleased and you will do everything at your discretion because you are just and you are good and you are loving to eradicate them from our lives. So Lord, have your way with these false gods in our lives so that we can be armed and stand true, stand true, Stand powerfully and boldly on you, King Jesus, who provided us the lamb like no other. Jesus' name I pray, amen.